Hey, everybody, we'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor, Rack Getter Sense and Lures. Like Hunt, Lift, Eat, Rack Getter Sense is a veteran-owned and operated company with a personal touch. Gerard, their owner, is a former Marine and firefighter who will walk you step-by-step through the buy-in process with a personal touch. I reached out to him and he gave me his personal cell phone number and walked me through his products and the buying experience could not have been more efficient. My favorite product of his is the Hot to Trot Dough and Heat Scent and I use it religiously through the rut with consistent results. Many of our Hunt, Lift, Eat team members are loyal customers of Rack Getter Scents and Lures and we use his products year after year to help them execute in the field. Follow them on their Instagram at RackGetterSense2.0 and check out their products at RackGetterSense.net to start luring in your next big buck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm Carter McKenzie, joined by a couple usual suspects here tonight. I got Bobby coming at us from New Jersey. What's going on, Bobby? What's going on, Carter? How are we tonight? We're good, man. This is a solid Monday night here, wrapped up... Uh, Miserable day at work on this Monday, and been looking forward to this one all day. Good way to good way to round out the week here. Bounce out, bounce out the day. And Scotty, Scotty's back. What's up, Scotty? Here I am. He's live back. in the flesh. I'm back. Live happy in the to flesh. Be back with, happy to be back with the crew. Heck yeah! Bobby and I had a bit of a panic right before we jumped on this call. I was actually logged out from too many <laughs> too many password attempts from our RSS feed. So I can't post any podcasts. And I was about to text Luke and be like, Hey, the podcast isn't coming out tomorrow. I'm sorry, man. It's the first one I failed on since having this job. And then Bobby found the support number and and sent me a change or a password reset email. And he's like, check your email, check your email. So thank God we're back in. So now we're good to go. Yeah. I I heard the panic in your voice when you called me. (laughs) I was like, Oh man. Carter fucked up. Yeah, dude, I was pretty disappointed. I think it's because I tried to get you to log in in New Jersey and it didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it, it's just like no one's <laughs> logging in from this shit yeah. from New Jersey. What the <laughs> fuck's going on here? Yeah. It didn't like that at all. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. We're back. And uh, we have an awesome guest tonight. We uh, were joined by uh, our first taxidermist on the podcast here, actually. Uh, a new buddy of mine, Drew Gann. From North Georgia, uh, owner-operator of Georgia Outdoorsman Taxidermy. So, Drew, thanks for jumping on with us tonight, man. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. It's nice to have a fellow North Georgian round out this this podcast here, man. We're we're few and far between around here. Yeah. We're spread to the four corners of the earth. But yeah, thanks for jumping on, man. Um, Yeah, dude, we... uh, I can't believe I didn't think about this earlier, but like obviously taxidermy makes a lot of sense for <laughs> what this company does and what these listeners, you know, f- follow and, and uh, I guess something that we save towards to, you know, help, I guess, hold on to memories from various hunts and adventures and things like that. And yeah. uh, I can't believe we didn't make this happen earlier. So finally making it happen. Life's bigger first. Yeah, man. And we got, uh, you know, Scotty, of course, had to be on here because he's obsessed with all all dead things and all memorabilia uh, accompanied with, with those dead things. So, Scotty. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm just, just so you know, Drew, I'm just a, a DIY European mount guy. That's what I do. I, I mean, I just I help my buddies out. I like doing uh, all my stuff. Um, but, uh, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, hearing what you have to say and because I always wonder like, oh man, what would it be like to actually make this kind of, you know, this somewhat of a passion into a profession, you know, and I know that things change when that happens a little bit. Um, and so, uh, definitely looking forward to picking your brain on some of that. Sure. Yeah. I'll I'll start off by saying more power to you for doing skulls, man. I don't miss doing these things at all. Yeah. I know. I, 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 I get halfway through each set and I'm just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I mean, because they are they are time consuming, man. Time consuming. It can be very dirty, especially if, if you don't if you pressure wash yours. Do you pressure wash them? I do. Man, that's a dirty job. 
<laughs> it is a dirty job. My dogs, I mean, they come back around from the side of the house. I do my best to clean up, but there's just no way you can clean no. up everything. And they come and first of all, they have nasty breath. They're little dogs. They have nasty breath to begin with. And then they come try to give me some, some love. And I'm like, I know where you've what been, you, you know, uh-huh. digging through the soil and nasty cartilage breath, you know, it's oh, yeah. gross. Yeah. I can uh, relate. Cause I, uh, I flush all my deer hides myself and I, I pressure wash them mm-hmm. and I pressure wash outside. Like you said, leaves a mess. And it, the first year I was my dog, same back two dogs are always going and getting in it. So I took some uh, fence and fenced the area around that I pressure wash where yeah. they can't get to it. So I had to put a stop to that. So I can relate. <laughs> yep. I'd be doing the same thing for sure. Yeah. I mean, I need, I need to do something because it's a mess. And then, uh, gosh, you know, I, I don't know if I, I stabbed my finger. I don't know what I did, but I was working on these skulls for a couple of days. And then I had my finger started getting really red and hot and infected. I'm like, Oh God, oh, no. I wonder, I've been dealing with all this rancid meat, you know? And I was just like, I hope my tetanus shot is up and I hope <laughs> I'm good to go now. But, um, and then I had a big hunt last weekend that I was getting ready to go to. And I just was like, I need to go get this checked out make sure i'm not in hunting camp and feeling like my finger's gonna fall off but i'm all good now so you guys don't need to worry okay don't <laughs> worry. yeah i'm all good now but it is a dirty it's a dirty mess but so what what do you uh mostly specialize in drew tell us a little bit uh feathers is my the lane i've picked is to focus on yeah. feathers so ducks and some turkeys but ducks is kind of my like i said my specialty what i'm trying to focus on so i do a few deer um where i came from I worked for a tax service full time for about five years and I left to do, he doesn't do any feathers. And so I left to mostly do what he doesn't do because I'm only like 15 minutes from him. So just to be respectful and, you know, I didn't want to compete with him or anything and uh, or burn any bridges. So feathers and I love doing feathers. So it's worked out pretty good for me. I'm just coming up on two years of opening my business. So. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I appreciate yeah. it. I don't know when I came across your page, Drew. I think someone shared it in one of those hunting forums for Georgia, like sure. hunting in the Georgia Piedmont or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Someone must have mm-hmm. someone must have shared your name. And I came across it. <clears throat> I took a look at it. I was like, oh, like like younger guy, like closer to my age than sixty, right? I that's <laughs> like i can talk with this guy and sure. your website was really well put together and your photography you. is excellent on your on your finished pieces that you post on social media yeah you, you had a tightened up kind of look to your company and yeah. i was like oh yeah like you know this is worth checking out like and you're only 45 minutes up the road for me yeah no i appreciate that yeah i think yeah everything i do the website like you said it's a representation of me so i try to take everything seriously as i can yeah, for sure. So you said you were doing this for five years prior. How'd you how'd you get into how how'd you get into that at all? Man, randomly, really. I um I had caught a trout that I wanted to get mounted and took it to the previous taxidermist as a customer, really. Dropped it off to get mounted and while I was there, just got to talking with him and I was working full time at Lowe's at that point. And I was like, uh, I was working the night shift so I could have, you know, had extra time in the day. And I was like, are you looking for any help by chance? And he's like, actually, yeah, I'm looking for somebody to do my finish work. And I was like, well, I have zero experience in taxidermy. I was like, I have a little bit of artistic to me. And he's like, uh, well, we can come in and try it out. And I worked part time for about, I guess, not quite a year. And then he offered me a full time position. So, yeah, it was really random. But, but I've always... Grew up hunting and fishing, so outdoors has always been a passion of mine. But taxidermy never was really on my radar per se. So, but it like the work, like I said, it worked out. Here I am, seven years later, and doing my own thing. So, kind of crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to ask what you what was your relationship with kind of the outdoors growing up? Did you grow up in North Georgia? Nope, grew up in South Georgia. So I'm originally from Tifton, um, okay. so real far city. south. Yeah, um, I grew up with my dad running a deer processing plant in South Georgia. And then my grandfather had a small farm in South Georgia with a pond and some, some woods. So I grew up around, like I said, hunting and fishing, everything I can remember. 
I remember getting off the bus in elementary school at the processing place and helping my dad. Well, the most a six or seven year old can do, you know, helping him mostly eat things. Let's just be honest. I was mostly eating the sausage <laughs> and stuff. But uh, yeah, so it's just always been it's in my blood, you know, people say that, but it, it truly is. That's awesome. And you're clearly an avid outdoorsman. You're hunt fish, shoot ducks, shoot everything. Yeah. If there's a season for it, I'm, I'm down for it. That's awesome. So Drew, you specialize in feathers, which is, seems like a difficult task to undertake, you know? Um, and so what for us as hunters, what can we do if we, if we shoot a bird, that we want to get mounted. What what can we do, or what should we do in preparation to to you know give it to you? Because I've heard of guys keeping birds for years, you know, in the freezer and whatnot. Um, probably not the maybe the best idea, but um, you know, if if I go out and shoot a bird and I want you to to do it up for me, how would you want me to kind of package that up? You can throw yeah, me I'm under the bus here, Drew. I'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus here, but I recently had somebody <laughs> brought me a. A mallard duck that had been in the freezer for, I believe you said four years or more. And it was uh, probably five years, probably five, five years, years, maybe. Yeah, it was toast. So, <laughs> um, what's going to happen is if you don't, if you don't properly um, prepare your bird for the freezer, it can get freezer burnt fairly quick. Um, and what's going to happen when it gets freezer burnt is the feet and the head will be the first thing to go. And when they get freezer burnt, I can't. Um, I can't skin the head off, so I, I can't skin it, I can't skin it, I can't mount it. And then the feet get freezer burnt to where I can't um, rehydrate them or position them and make them look, basically make them look normal. The best way to prepare a bird is, it's super easy, um, is get uh, three paper towels and get them soaking wet. One around each foot and then one around the head and the bill and just... Stick that in a bag, a Ziploc bag, garbage bag. If it's a big duck, obviously a garbage bag. And just get all the air out you can and stick it in the freezer. And just those paper towels being wet is going to give you months to years in the freezer. I mean, when um, I have them brought to me, if I don't skin them right away, like if I was to pull birds out of my freezer right now, you'd see I have them wrapped up and just like that because it's just going to make them last so much longer. But don't put them in pantyhose. That's an old school way of people putting panties. Because what it's going to do that yeah. compression of the pantyhose is going to compress those feathers to where at some point I can't put them back in the normal position. It's not going to look right. Don't vacuum pack them. That's even worse than pantyhose. Hmm. Uh, don't just stick them in a, a Walmart bag and throw them in the freezer. I mean, just but I tell people take care of it. If you want to look good, take care of it. It's, it's, it's easy to get it prepped. It really is. Just take a couple seconds and do it right. And even when you're, when you're picking your bird, you're going to mount. I mean, I'm going to get on a soapbox here. So if you need to throw a timeout at me, but <laughs> when you're picking a bird to mount, I know sometimes you get a rare bird. Like if it's a, if it's banded or a pintail or once in a lifetime bird, you might have the opportunity to pick and choose. But if you're going to pick one, like a wood duck or mallard or something that's common, take a few seconds, open them wings up, look at them. Are they in good shape? Are they full of pin feathers? Because those pin feathers are going to come out when I'm mounting it. But in condition, this goes a long way with any kind of any kind of taxidermy. Condition says a lot. So if you can pick and choose, like I said, take a second, open them feathers up. Did you put a giant hole in it? I mean, I've had them bring me ducks that have been like half of their face has been shot off. So hmm. and I tell them like, I'll mount it. It's your bird. It's your dollar. I'll gladly mount it. But you see what I'm working with here. So. You know, I try to be upfront and honest with folks that if you want to look good, pick out a good looking bird. Mm -hmm. so. Now, since yeah. you specialize in birds, I got to ask, how many dog bites did you patch up throughout your years of uh, doing you know, this? I feel like my dogs destroy the birds. That's a good question. I have not had to do a lot of that. I really haven't. Um, I've had one um, that had some broken wing feathers. Uh, and I was able to position, I can position it sometimes to hide the damage, but, uh, I really haven't had to do a lot with that. And so, which is surprising because, you know, yeah. you think they're going to send that dog out there and he's just going to, cause a lot of times they're not dead when the dog brings it back and the right. dog's just going to 
ham on that thing. So I haven't had big issues with that yet. I really haven't. Fortunately, knock on wood that that doesn't change. Yeah, it's going to start now. It's coming. Right? Yeah. Domino effects. It's going to go crazy now. You don't I've have a bird from Bobby's dog, Sarge, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had all my dog's first birds mount it. And yeah. my one dog, Sarge, he uh, destroyed this this bird. And the guy looked at me. He's like, what the fuck do you want me to do to this? I was like, <laughs> well, I guess we can make like a pelt out of it or something. He goes, I don't even <laughs> think we'll get a feather. <laughs> so uh, I was always and, curious. That- yeah, a lot of times with those kind of things, you can do it. The dead mounts, you know, are getting real popular. And those are great when you have damage. To a bird, yeah, because it, it kind of goes along with the story, you know. I saw you post some of those today. I'd never seen that before. They look really cool. Oh man, they're getting so popular. They really are. Which yeah, I'm looking I, at man, right now on your page, it's really cool. Actually, yeah. a pretty cool way to display the feathers and their secondaries. Yeah, yeah, you can position them in you know a couple of different ways when it comes to dead dead mounts. You know, you want to make it look natural as you can, but yeah, like I said, they're getting real popular. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think I'm with you there with the bird mounts are probably like I have a lot of taxidermy in my basement. I think my bird mounts are my favorite because the detail inside every feather, inside the wingspan, inside the beak. And it's just I, I mean, it's got to be tedious for you to get everything uh, perfect and prepared. Right. And I, every time I walk by, like even my pheasant mounts, I'm counting the black lines and the feathers and everything. I just think the detail in all those birds are beautiful. Yeah, I totally agree. hundred um... percent. I've, I've told multiple people that, you know, that I enjoy doing all the taxidermy. Um, ducks are always my favorite. Um, deer are fine. I'll, I'll mount a deer. It's fine. But they've deer become redundant, I guess you could say, because it's a left turn, a right turn, or upright or straight. You know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, you can add details to make it. But as far as the positioning, it's different. But with a duck, sky's the limit. I can change that thing in all kinds of positions. So I, I like the creativity behind it. Uh, and yes, the details, I literally will, I have a tw- pair of tweezers. And when I have that bird mounted, I'm picking the feathers and putting them in place one by one. I mean, I can go cross-side. Just, but the detail behind it is what makes that duck look beautiful to me. So, And it's still new to me, so I'm still loving it. But I can't see that changing anytime soon either. Bobby, you really come from the world of feathers out of at least the three of us, man, is like mounting pheasants, like full body mounts for pheasants, a big thing. Uh, for me, it is because, you know, having three German short hair pointers, I, I upland hunting is a passion of mine. And, and I just feel like my whole house is all about pointers and upland hunting. And I, like I said before, the detail inside pheasants and quails and chucker and all those birds, I just love, that they're such beautiful mounts. And the cool thing about them is where I could have my three deer heads up, I could probably have 10 or 15 bird mounts going in that same little spot. So I can have more birds versus, you know, a couple deer. My turkey mounts take up half my basement. And I, I think having those actual pheasants are so cool to really, and every one of them has a story with my dogs. I mean, I put the shotgun shell next to them. And I know exactly what day I got them. That's really, yeah, pheasants are gorgeous birds. You can't beat a pheasant for colors. Hmm. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah you got some cool. interesting mounts, like you said, like you can, like the sky's the limit. I got some on driftwood and then, mm-hmm. um, I did a couple, I have a couple like the, the pelts off and they like glued them down to like flat wood or barn, barnyard shutter or something like that. It's like interesting stuff. So like I said, you, you mm-hmm. can't do that with a deer, which is really neat that you can do this kind of stuff mm-hmm. with the birds. Yeah. And they're getting creative with deer mounts. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the pack mounts are getting pretty popular. We've seen those. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so they're they're getting more stuff with the deer, but I just think you can't the creativity with a duck is just or any like you said pheasant turkey, you just can't compare the two in my books. So that's funny you have G. I have a GSP. She's not a hunting dog. She's just a house dog. But that's a special breed. I, I knew I liked you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a special breed though, man. Good lord. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I, and I used to have one too. Used oh, to. Yeah have one i mean it <laughs> i couldn't hang man i couldn't do it i don't think i'll have another one because our cabela her name's cabela she's uh i think she's coming up on 12 now and she has not slowed down that much oh my <laughs> gosh so you're saying i made the right decision then i think uh, i've told my wife uh, <laughs> i love her but this is the last gsp we're gonna get because i can't handle it 
but they're I good. I hope though. my wife doesn't hear this podcast. Oh my God. Like I told you, I fucking told you. Uh, <laughs> it explains a lot wife. about Bobby. Yeah, my poor wife is the only dog she's ever had. So Bobby she has no is other a dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all mesh together. Yeah, yeah. she 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 probably says the same thing about you too. <laughs> Oh, 100%. That's probably the, the best thing she says about me is probably that. Yeah. He's, all, he's the only thing I know, so I better keep him around. Yeah, that's funny. Now, do you get a chance to hunt a lot, Drew? Or do you hunt with your GSP? Or maybe in the 12, maybe a bit old, but do you get to, a chance to go out a lot? Or are you stuck there working on all those antlers I saw hanging up? Uh, I'm fortunate. I have a small track of land here at my house that I can hunt here at my house. I was actually hunting this evening before we got on the nice. podcast. So I can walk out my backyard and, um, you know, I can see a fair amount of deer, but, uh, and then I try to take one trip a year just to kind of get away and, uh, reset. I try to go to Kentucky every year and I go up to uh, lamb twin the lakes, the big public land up there. So, um, I'm going up there November 9th. So, uh, yeah, I try to get away. I, I, uh, I don't want to burn myself out. You know, you got to have that little release to get out there and enjoy the nature that you, you do this for. So I yeah, totally I understand that. Out. Yeah. I think that's really important too. That's, that's my big mantra to everybody is, you know, take the trip, right? Yeah. I'm only going to be, you're only going to be this age once. So take the that's trip, true. go enjoy it. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Now, will you mount your own deer? Will you mount your own birds? Oh yeah, for sure. Do you? Mm-hmm. Does it take yeah. you twice as long? Do you get nitpicky over your birds or your your deer? Uh, well, typically my stuff takes a backseat. I've got a turkey. I shot an Osceola. I think, um, gosh, it's been coming up on three years now, and I have intentions to full body mount it. But my stuff takes a backseat to customers. So, but I, I will eventually mount it. But um, yeah, I guess. I'm probably a little less picky with my stuff than I am customers, actually, hmm. um, because I can I can hide mine <laughs> if I don't like it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where a customer, they're taking it home with them. Like, you know, we were saying that's a memory. So I'm probably more picky with customer stuff. So. You better get yeah, it done or it's going to sit in your freezer for five years like my duck, Drew. Well, I properly uh, stored it, uh, <laughs> order, so I'm good. <laughs> so drew i got a question for you you mentioned that you you know you were you were dropping off a, you know i think you said a bird and uh or you know a fish right the trout and so that guy kind of took you under his wing and probably taught you everything under the sun that he knew uh i know there's a lot of taxidermy schools out there does a guy like you need to go to a school in order to get certified to do what you do uh, is not required by no means. No, um, there's multiple ways of doing it. Really, um, you have to have a state license, which anybody can apply for, as long as you don't have a game violation. Um, you can get a license. It's a couple hundred bucks. Last, I want to say, my license is right here. Last for about three years, I think. Um, and then, if you're going to do ducks, you have to have a federal license. Um, and that you can't be a, a felon or anything. And federal license takes a little bit longer to get, a little bit more of a hassle because it's federal. But again, that's only for ducks. Um, but as far as learning it, um, you can do what I did. Just go to another taxidermist, you know, get underneath their, um, their supervision. They'll teach you everything they know. You can do the schools. Uh, there's each, I know Georgia has um, a Georgia Taxidermy Association. It's open to anybody, can be a member. And they do um, a, basically a convention once a year and they'll go and do classes, how to mount a duck, how to mount a deer from start to finish. Um, and that would be a lot less um, inexpensive than a school because I haven't done the schools. I've seen them and they seem to be pretty pricey um, for just a really just a few days. I think and you may have seen more than I have, but ones I've seen are like four or five days and it's a, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Well, Four or five days is not going to show you everything. I mean, like I said, I did it for five years and I'm still learning to this day. So, I mean, you never stop learning. But if you were going to do it, my recommendation would be find the tax service is willing to teach you. That's just the best way to do it, I think. 
even if it's just part-time for years, you know. Um, and then you can do, you know, DIY, you know. Um, just give it a shot. See if you like it. I tell, I've had a few guys do that. And I tell them, if you're going to start, do a squirrel. There's thousands of them out there. Easy to come right. by. The form and stuff is pretty inexpensive to get. So it's just an easy one to, it's easy to flash. It's just easy all around. And it kind of gives you that little insight as to whether or not you're going to like mountain animals or not. So it's a great one to start with, I think. So Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. That's a great tip. That is good advice. I was talking to a buddy and I was like, hey man, in, in that preparation for that mule deer hunt I was telling you about, Drew, next month. Yeah. I was like, hey man, I've never caped an animal before and we're going to be back in there. And he was like, don't, don't have your first one be on that mule deer that you want to get mounted. He's like, practice on does, practice on all the does first. Yeah. And then, and then, oh, yeah. you know, learn, learn the ins and outs of it. Cause you know, you can mess up there. It's, it's a little more forgiving versus Agreed. when you get to that actual trophy that you want to, you want to bring back and, and maintain. Mm-hmm. And with, and with deer, it's a little bit easier to hide. I guess what you call it a mistake as far as to hide, especially if they have longer hair. So it's easier to hide that, but yeah, you definitely want to practice on something. If you go out there and you shoot a, you know, a trophy, you don't want to get in the backwoods and totally mess it up. So yeah, like I said, like your friend said, a, a doe or a small buck or any buck around here, you know, it'd be a great, a great practice. Or heck, if you get bored one day, come to the shop. I'll, I'll let you practice on some deer up here. There you I'll go. Super, I'll That'd supervise awesome. you though. <laughs> right. I need supervision. I need yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, how do you stay like on top of your game, right? Last time I was there, you were showing me that gigantic textbook of things that a taxidermist can order with everything oh, under the sun in there from whatever replaceable, you know, fake Euro mount skulls to pedestals to, I mean, I mean, it was overwhelming how much stuff was in that book. How do you stay on top of your game and like continue? Because you're, an, I mean, you're an artist, right? Like, you want to continue to get better and better. Like, how how do you think about that, or how do you approach that every season? Sure, yeah, great question. Um, I, I mean, to stay on top of it. It's it's a constant because that catalog you saw is one company, and I'm right. mostly using McKenzie Taxidermy. They're probably, I'd say, they're one of, if not the biggest taxidermy supply company. In, you know, in the USA. Um, but they're, they have a new catalog every year and it's literally, I mean, it is, you saw it. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's no, it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. It is. And like you said, they have everything under the sun as far as tax revenue supply goes. If, I mean, you name it, I can probably find it in that catalog. If they don't have it, another company is going to. Um, so it's just, like I find myself some days, like, if, you know, I get to a point where I'm done and it's kind of early. I literally find myself in that catalog, just going through the pages, flipping through them, especially if I get a new one, because a new one's supposed to be showing up anytime now. And so, and they're new products every year. So I'll just find myself going through it like a magazine and just seeing what's new. But the company, they're really good about the first few pages. They'll put everything new in the catalog. So you kind of have an, uh, an idea of going up, you know, up front as to what's new and what's available. But, and then like everything else in the world, prices are changing. So you got to stay on top of that. So, you know, uh, but as far, and like you said, as far as learning, I mean, I'll never stop learning. I'm always trying to, <clears throat> excuse me. There's several taxidermists that as far as ducks go that I guess you, I look up to and uh, <clears throat> I'm constantly looking at their work. Like, you know, I've done, um, convention with a guy from from Utah come out to Georgia and did a convention and was just blown away at you know how he is his condition of his birds are just to me they're gorgeous magnificent you know magnificent I was just it was breathtaking to see him do what he does but he doesn't do it any different it's just well he's been doing it for 25 years so you know you're constantly getting better so I'm hoping you know I'm, I'm two years in here. I'm hoping another 20 years or so I can hopefully I'll be fortunate enough that somebody says, oh, yeah, I saw Drew's work. It's amazing. So that would be a huge blessing for sure. But, yeah, never stop learning. That's a that's a thing I keep telling myself. If I figure if, if the day comes where I think I've got it figured out, that's the day it's time for me to quit. Yeah, I feel like that applies to a lot of different things in life, and that's it's a good thing to live by. Makes a lot of sense. And speaking of, you know, never stop learning, 
did I, was I your first Axis antlers brought to you? Yes. You were the first Axis deer I've ever worked on, even when I was at the other tax service. And he does, gosh. All sorts of exotics. Thousand plus animals a year. Yeah. I and mean, he's a huge operation. And yeah, I mean, African, I mean, all over the, but never, never did an Axis deer. So you were the first Axis deer I've ever put my hands on. So that was a pretty cool experience. For sure. Yeah, that was that was new for me. The concept of cutting off the antlers in in the field to to be able to get it home. I'd never done that before. Right. It yeah, made I've me a bit apprehensive. Before. Yeah. Yeah, I had but, to replace antlers before. So, did you ship that back? I meant to ask. Did you ship it back? I brought the antlers in my gun case, and then I vacuum sealed the skull and oh. shipped it like post service. Sure. Yeah. Uh, for nineteen bucks, shipped it to my oh. house. <laughs> Can't beat that all over my whole no, life. That was, it at all. that was good. Yeah. I, I was just nervous about it breaking or anything like that. Yeah. But I bolted out there. I bolted out in our condo, which not everybody was thrilled with. Yeah. But I knew with this new rule, people are weird about brains coming across state lines. So I knew I'd had yeah. to get the brain out. Yeah, especially shipping it. Cause I've had um, a customer ship me a uh, hide. It was a deer, a friend of mine. He lives in Indiana and shipped me a deer, uh, shipped a hide separate from the antlers. And he over, I told him to overnight the uh, hide. And I think he overnighted it, but didn't get here overnight. It was ruined. Like, it just went rancid. Yeah. I, I didn't have to open the box. I could just smell it. I was, I felt bad for the post lady, you know, she had to drive around yeah. in, in her car, but uh, all day, right? all day, yeah, because some <laughs> cops. And uh, but yeah, it was just ruined. So I, I can understand, you know, the nervousness about that. But luckily, I was able to give him a new cape, so it worked out. But wow. yeah. So in one day, a hide can go bad. In one day, well, it was probably two days, right? But or maybe it also had to do with what it, the condition it was like when he put it in the freezer to begin with. That's probably more so, uh, maybe the case, but, uh, needless to say they can spoil pretty quick, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of factors that go involved with a, a hide. Um, but yeah, if especially a little bit of sunlight can just go a long way. And it also depends on how you shot it. If you gut shot it and that stomach the inside that stomach rupture, and that stomach acid gets up in the body and the cavity and it gets on some of the skin. It's just going to slip. So there's so many mm-hmm. factors going to, I know I, I did a deer last year and uh, some of the hair was slipping on it and called the customer and said, Hey man, your, your, your hair's kind of slipping a little bit. So when I kind of give you a heads up, I was like, I can keep going forward with it. It's going to have a little bit of character. You could say, <laughs> if I can get you a new cape. Uh, and uh, he was like, well, why do you think it went bad? I was like, well, let's back up. You know, when you shot it, did you recover it right away or was it a few hours or days? He's like, no, we found it the same night. I was like, okay, was it cold that night? He's like, yeah, it was pretty cold. He's like, we hung it up for three days. I was like, well, there's a small issue. If you let it hang for three days, even though it's cold, I mean, he was in Kentucky, you know, I was like, even though it's cold, it can still affect that cape. So hmm. the quicker you can get that thing on frozen, not just on ice, but frozen makes a huge difference, huge difference. Cause I can, as soon as you get it to me, I can freeze it and I can prepare it and it'll last in my freezer for a long time, years. So yeah, there's just so many factors that can go involved with it, but treat your cave like you treat your meat. I'll tell people. So now that's good advice. If you yeah. get it off fast, do you, you just roll it up and throw it in the freezer? Yep. I just, um, I'll get it off the skull and I, if they leave any big chunks of meat, I'll cut that off. Um, just getting that meat off, it, it just helps the actual cape freeze quicker. Um, and then I have like, you know, the clear plastic bags and just get all the air out of can, label it and put it in the freezer. And I mean, like I said, they'll last for, you know, years. I mean, there's some taxidermists that, you know, they have two, three year turnaround time. So that cape's going to be fine once you get it. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're putting the ears and the face is inside the cape. It's like in the middle of everything. So that's, the least because air is your worst enemy when it comes to freezer burn. That's what so having it all tucked in there is gonna kind of save it and keep it keep it good to mount in the future. Hey y'all, I'm gonna take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. 
That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Well, we went out this weekend uh, and on a bear hunt. I've never been on a bear hunt before here in California. Um, we were out there for about three days, um, and we got we got lucky. We were on a on a big hunt in the afternoon, and we were just hiking back. We were pretty smoked coming back uh, to the boat, but uh, we were probably a quarter mile from from the boat. And uh, my buddy pulled up and just let off a shot. I would, they were ahead of me a little bit because I had stopped and I was glassing this hillside. And, uh, uh, bear was just on, on the trail pretty much. And it, thank God. Cause it was like the only place we could really shoot something. It was so thick in these other areas. Um, but there's a bear 50 yards off the road. Uh, he hammered her and, uh, she went down, you know, 10 yards from where he shot her, which was amazing. We got so lucky and, uh, all of us, he had shot one bear before and my brother and I not you know, we, we've never really, we've never shot a bear and we've never really even seen a bear out in the wild before other than, you know, camping up in Tahoe or something where it's fairly easy to see bears, but not hunting bears. And so we made a, a very valid effort to save that hide, uh, for a rug. And I think we did a pretty good job. I was, I was lucky enough to watch some videos on how to kind of skin around the paws and, and break that ankle bone and, and get them pretty much intact. Um, and, you know, try my best to remember where, where to make these cuts and stuff. But, it, but it's something you need to kind of prep yourself before the hunt on what you're going to do. If you get one of these trophy type animals down, whether it's a big buck or a bear or, you know, anything out there, how are you going to cape it? Or how are you going to, are you going to try to make a rug? Um, but, uh, uh, you really have to educate yourself beforehand. So, and we did it. It was of course, like most hunts, you know, it got dark, we're, we're tired, we finally got this bear back down to the shore. You know, we, you know, we, we gutted her, we did everything. And we're just, you know, of course, when everything was said and done, all the knives flying and stuff, there's a couple pierces through the hide and everything. It's just like, Oh my gosh, I hope, I hope it's good. I hope you, everybody's a little, uh, on edge when you're going to bring, everybody's just hoping the taxidermist is going to say, yeah, it's good. Same thing with, with your butcher too. When you bring your meat in, you're like, it's good, right? It's clean, right? It's clean. I know it's clean. We did everything we could once they say, yeah, man, you're good. You know, there's a lot of weight lifted off your shoulders that you finally did your job. But, uh, just like you're saying, man, it's good to kind of that prep work in the field is huge. If you're trying to save something for taxidermy purposes. Oh yeah, for sure. And there's, there's so many good resources online. I mean, YouTube videos, to just like you said, watch and learn, or even call your, call your taxidermist that you use and say, Hey, I'm going out, you know, West to shoot a, a bear or whatever. What should I do? How do I do it? I, I can't think any tax members would tell you that they're not going to help you out because you're helping them out in the long run. Because if you bring them a bad cape, like you were saying, that's more aggravation for them. So I've had customers come here and I'll show them how to, you know, cape a deer out or how to do this or that so they can do it on, the, you know, their self, do a DIY. Because like you said, if you're out, you know, in the middle of nowhere, your options are pretty, pretty slim. Um, and then to go along with that, Georgia this year has uh, new regulations that no deer outside of the state can be brought back in that hasn't been deboned or and no brain matter can be bought back in. So if I go to Kentucky and shoot a deer, I can't bring the whole head back. Um, it has to be separated from the skull plate and the brain's got to be removed and all the meat has to be deboned. So and I have several customers that hunt out of state. And so I actually filmed a little step-by-step -step process of how to cape your deer off the skull and uh, put it up on YouTube. So if somebody ever calls or asks, I'm like, oh, here, watch this real quick. It's step-by-step -step process and try to make it easy. And it's not difficult to do that, but it's just taking your time. Don't get in a hurry and make clean cuts. It's kind of goes with everything, but a bear is a lot different. It's um, especially if you're doing a rug, man, because if, 
you cut that one leg different than this leg, they're going to look unproportioned on the wall. So I could see where you're being real nervous about that. So, yeah, it's a job. I don't even know. I don't even know if he's got enough money for the rug. Cause what I've heard about rugs is they're like, I don't know, 300 bucks uh, from tip to tail or something like that, you know? So yeah. you shoot a, a seven foot bear, you know, you got a couple, couple grand coming out of your bank account barely, you know, when it's done. Yeah. So, um, you know, we made the effort for it, but it, you know, taxidermy, you know, if you want really good quality stuff, you know, you're going to pay for it. That's very true. Yeah. That's exactly where I used to work. He does bears and I believe he's went up this year, but his prices for rugs, that is for, that's closed mouth. Now it's 300 from the tip of the nose to the base of the tail. And if it's open mouth, I think it's like 350 or 400 a foot. So yeah, it can, mm -hmm. any bear mount, it can get expensive real quick, real quick, especially yeah. like you said, if you shoot a big bear. So I've always, I've never killed a bear, but I've always heard once you shoot one and pack it out, that'd be the last one you do. Would you agree? You know what? It's so amazing. Well, we were, we were really, again, we were real lucky. We were only a quarter mile downhill, a downhill drag quarter mile to the boat. And so we had it so easy, but we were talking about it that night by the campfire. We're like, could you imagine if we would have shot a bear off the trail, even where like when we were way back in there, you know? Um, and there's a lot of, we weren't too far in, but there's a lot of vertical feet between, you know, the water's edge and where we were at. And, and every, bear hunting youtube video i shot i've watched um they it looks miserable you know they are dying in every single bear hunt it's like always at night they always have real heavy loads and i don't think there's anything easy about a bear hunt in general and so um they just they they're just difficult so if we we got really lucky if we were way back there it would have been a completely different story not only that like for someone that like, I know it changed my perspective. We got back to camp and I'm like, I don't even know. It was like, that was Friday night and we were leaving on Sunday. I was like, I don't even know if I want to shoot him now <laughs> after how much work that one was, you know, but, uh, of course I would have, if I had the opportunity, but, um, uh, no man, it's, it's tough hunts. And, and the size of that, um, basically, you know, the hide of that bear with the head on it, man, that's a, that's a load in itself. I mean, it was a decent sized bear. I want to say she was, she was probably 350, maybe, maybe oh. he's definitely 350 pounds, I think. But, um, you know, but it was, it was a big hide. I mean, it, it was, it was a learning experience for all of us, but man, the pack out would have been very difficult if we would have got one way in there. Yeah. And 350 is not decent size. That's a big bear. I mean, at least yeah. for Georgia, that's a big bear. That's a big bear. No, it was a it was a big bear. I was amazed at how big it was, you know. Yeah. But um, and it was one of those things where it just got bigger walking up to it. Surprisingly, and me never seeing a, a dead bear like that, it was like, whoa! I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I guess my brothers are pretty big, dude, and I got a video. Like, thank God, again, we were dragging downhill, but he's a pretty yeah. big dude dragging this bear down. It's like, oh my goodness. Um, they are wild beasts for sure. And, uh, I definitely looking forward to getting out and trying it again, probably next year, but, yeah. um, it was a fun, it was a fun time for me. If I, if I, if I do get one, I'm just going to lop the head off. I just want the skull and of yeah, course the meat <laughs> and, uh, and then there's no way I'm carrying that hide out. And then, um, we cut off a bunch of fat and everything. We're going to try to render it down. And, okay. um, she was super fat too, which yeah. is part of her size. Have you got to eat any of it yet? The bear meat? Um, we cooked a little bit of it up in camp just over the fire. And then we cooked some, uh, some, we used some of the fat for some like sauteed mushrooms and onions and stuff. And it was, uh, it was really good though. It was, it was tasty. You know, of course we made sure we cook it. We're all, you know, of course worried that we're going to get trichinosis or something from eating it. But, um, as long as it's cooked through, it should be fine. Right. Yeah, I know. That's right. I'm okay, right? Scotty's a warm hell. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm starting uh, to sweat a little bit. I've had multiple people um, where I used to work with did bears. They'd bring the bear in and be like, you know, they don't want the meat because they didn't couldn't stand it. But mm. I, I would take it and have it processed because I think bear meat's delicious. Mm, Which I guess yeah. is anything you cook. If you cook it right, it's good. But I think it's very good meat. 
Yeah, I was, I was, I was in, uh, I was impressed by it. It was, it was tasty, and I could see how you can go. I mean, I don't know how you, how, how would you normally do it? I mean, would you do mostly grind with it, or do you do steaks with it? Uh, both. We, I guess, the processor then did what they call a standard cut. So you get a little bit of, you get some um, bone-in ribeyes, like shoulder ribeyes, I guess, and then a bunch of ground, and then cubes, and so I mean, everything, any, all the cuts I've had have been just very good. I mean, done, you know, burgers, just any. If it's ground meat, if you put enough seasoning in it and cook it through, it's going to be fine. Yep. But uh, the steaks were good, I thought. I mean, you know, so I've always thought it was delicious. Somebody tells me they cut a berry, it's gross. I'm like, you're crazy. It's delicious meat. The best chili I ever had was bear chili. And, right? I, and I don't know, I don't know, like, why it was so good, but I had it years ago. And I was like, still to this day, I'm like, man, bear chili was the shit. And now... <laughs> It just doesn't compare to some other things. I don't know, maybe because it was so fatty. No idea. Your state doesn't let people shoot bears anymore, right, Bobby? No, we uh, our lovely governor deemed the state. You know, let's not talk politics, but yeah, we don't have a bear hunt anymore in this state, thanks to our. Uh, <laughs> but we do have a lot more bear attacks right now, and poor little fluffies <laughs> around the neighborhood and people. Oh my it's, goodness! It's, the logistics <laughs> of this is just dumb. Is that new for your state? Uh, ever since we got this new governor, yeah, he stopped the bear hunt and New Jersey. Uh, I mean, we have great black bear hunting here. Like we have bear mountain everywhere. And I remember the first time I went deer hunting with my dad, we were coming up, uh, in Sussex County around bear mountain. I go, why do they call it bear mountain? It's just like a lot of bears here. And we're at a red light and like four bears are just crossing the fucking highway. Oh, wow. It's just no big <laughs> deal. Man. I'm like, all right, got it. Now noted for next time. Clear. Yeah. That's crazy. Would you say that's one of the more difficult animals to work on, Drew? Um, I'm not. No, not. No, nah, it's depends on what aspect you're looking at. Um, it's fairly easy to. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough. One. That's a good question. It's, it's fairly easy to mount. Um, they're pretty tough to flesh, but they're not as tough to flesh as a wild hog. Because a mm-hmm. wild hog mm-hmm. is probably the hardest thing to flesh because of that shield. Wow. You know? It's just so makes tough. Sense. So it just depends on what aspect you're looking at. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I don't think it's the hardest to do now. Yeah. Well, I got a, I got a question for you, Drew. Um, sure. Well, I, I probably have a lot of questions. They're all, but um, <laughs> if, if a guy's going to do a hide on his own, you know, like I shot a squirrel when I was, I don't know. I was probably like 12 and my uncles showed me how to skin it out and we put it on a piece of plywood and stretch it out and salted it up. And, and it, it, I don't know where it is now, but it, it cured a super hard, you know, can, can guys do their own, um, kind of mini taxidermy hides at home. And once it gets to that salted, hard crisp point, what can we do to make it more pliable? Yes, you can definitely do it yourself. It's about like soft tan hides on anything. Is there's so many ways to do it, but it's very easy to do as long as you have the time and the space to do it. If you're doing something big, so I don't do uh, tans. I don't soft tan hide anything. I always ship it out or have somebody else do it because of the space. Um, but once you get it salted, if you leave it on salt for a few days um, until it gets all that moisture out, then you're gonna put it in a pickle. And that pickle is going to basically soften it back up and it's going to have acid and degreaser and odor eliminator and a few other um, salt and water, of course. But uh, that pickle is going to rehydrate it and um, preserve that skin where the hair won't fall out. And then you're going to put basically like leather oil on it or tanning oil on it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get hard at that point when you put the tanning oil on it, but it when it gets tan like that, you can take it and work it like a rag and get it super soft. I mean, we used to take them like a deer hide and you roll it up with the fur in where the skin's out and just take a, find you a brick wall and just go to town and mm. just make it super soft. So it's very easy to do. And there's even, I haven't messed with them. I've seen them. There's chemicals now, um, this process to after you salt it and you wash all that soft off, it's just a spray bottle that you spray the skin and that's supposed to tan it. Um, wow. I mean, I've never used it, but there's, you know, there's advancing so many different ways to do it. So it's definitely possible to DIY your own hides. Pretty easy too. 
So I yeah, I'm definitely going to try that out. Yeah. I have a piebald deer a guy shot. Um, I got in, I guess about a week ago and it has a lot of white on it. It's gorgeous deer. Try to convince him to do a, at least a, some kind of mount, but he just wanted to tan the hide. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fixing to get that process going, but I'm going to flesh it and get it all ready. And then I have somebody else that's going to tan it for me. So yeah, it's, it's easy to do. Like going back to the resources for skinning something out, there's so many resources to tan your own hide too online. So if you can't find it on YouTube, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> for real, right? Yeah. That was something you and I have talked about twice now with, I messaged you on the airplane on the way to Hawaii. And I was like, hey man, if I shoot an axis, can you do it? And then you, when you and I talked about the mule deer, um, you said, yes, but what about the hides was different? You want to wet tan those. So I don't wet tan any of my deer. I do what basically was a dry tan. I do dry preserves. Um, and that's kind of a, a hot topic in the taxidermy community. Uh, but I do all dry preserves. I don't do wet tans because again, it goes back to the space, having to salt that whole hide. I don't have the space right now in my shop to lay it out and salt it. Um, so I can get it done, but I'll have to ship it off to a tannery. Uh, and it's just going to cost more, um, to where if you find the tax, like where I used to work, they, they do wet tans. They can do it in house. It's going to be a little bit more cost effective for you. So there's all kinds of ways of doing it. Yeah, I'd never heard that term before. I figured everything was very straightforward and didn't think, of course, there should be nuance when you're dealing with different animals in in this world. Yeah. And then some things you almost, some animals you almost have to wet tan um, just because of the type of hair. I know like an antelope um, because their hair is very hollow and coarse and can fall out very easy. So you have to wet tan that because the dry preserve is almost not going to preserve that hide because of the type of hair they have. And the mule deer, I've only ever wet tanned them where I used to work. And so there's some things you you have to wet tan to make sure that doesn't hair doesn't start falling out in a few years and want to sit on your wall. And you call me one day and saying, hey, man, the hair's falling off my mount. What the heck? So <laughs> we don't want that phone call. No, no. No. So, so, uh, Drew with the, you know, with technology nowadays, obviously, you know, we talked about like YouTube and there's so much access to information online within the taxidermy world, you know, those that are actually doing it, are there a lot, are there, um, some like technological advances that you guys have that you're seeing maybe come into the industry that making your job a little bit easier, maybe compared to what it was uh, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago for some of these old timer guys that have been doing stuff. Um, have there been any, any methods that have come up that have, uh, you know, made life a little bit easier for you guys? Yes, I can hundred percent. Yes. Um, just in the short time I've done it, it's crazy how it's changed in the past, you know, seven years. Um, talking about technological advances. I have a, um, machine or system here that if you i've done it one time and i was amazed how it turned out basically if you shoot a deer uh this guy shot a deer in georgia opening weekend it was in full velvet he didn't find it until after season so when he Mm. found it the antlers were snow white you know just of course no velvet on it and i could put it i put it back in velvet and you would have no idea that it was fake velvet um, if you saw it, I've had, I had multiple hunters come in here and say, Oh, it's a gorgeous velvet deer. You know, it looks great. I'm like, yeah, the velvet's fake. And they're all like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's fake velvet. But the way you can put it on is I'm, I basically put a charge to the antlers, like electricity charge to where, when, and I sprinkled the velvet on there. So when it hit the glue on the antlers, it stood up versus if I didn't have it charged, it would just lay down flat. So just the fact that that, that's exists. a while. I was just like, because they, they were at the convention this past year and at the taxidermy convention, this company, they were showcasing it. And I was like, that's who would have thought to do that? It's amazing. So yeah, the advancements, even the forms alone to what, you know, they look like now to what they look used to look like 20, 30 years ago. Cause I have a mount from my, uh, my grandfather killed back in the, 
I want to say 60s. And even the forms alone just have come so far. I mean, you know, they used to be, I'm sure you've seen them, just a neck mount. It's basically like a foot behind the neck. And that's all they did. So where now, you know, you get half mounts, shoulder mounts, all kinds of mounts. But yeah, everything's constantly changing and advancing. And it can be overwhelming. But as long as you take it at strides, I think it's definitely a good thing. Because it's also going to make this taxidermy stuff last a lot longer. You know, I had a guy bring me four mounts the other day that uh, I had to like basically give him some TLC. They were cracking and falling apart. Uh, he had a wild hog. And I think he said, Dad, he like 30 years ago, but the nose was literally just falling off the mount. So, uh, and a lot of that has to do with upkeep, but um, it just makes things so much easier these days to make sure that, this, you know, that memory is going to last for you. So. But yeah, taking care of your taxonomy work is another thing that people don't always think about. Once you get it home, it still takes a little TLC on your part, too. Yeah, absolutely. The work is not over mm-hmm. when you get home. You always got to take care of your meat, take care of your skulls, take care of your hides, take care of um, all of it if you want to last, for sure. Yeah, two worst things for taxonomy is heat and sunlight. Hmm. You have a fireplace. You want to keep your taxidermy running because that that dry heat from that fireplace is going to make it crack and dry out in that skin. And then sunlight, it's just going to make it fade. So if you ever see a a deer from like 30 years ago and it's like white, it's because it's been the sunlight or it's just lost its color. So, yeah, heat and sunlight, you want to avoid that for your mounts. And then keep it like, you know, AC, don't put it out in your barn and expect it to look good in 20 years. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's uh, cool that you brought up the, the velvet technology because I've seen some videos on that and it was so satisfying to watch almost, you know, because they just put a little layer. I think, I think he put maybe a little layer of glue on the antler and then just dab that stuff on. And it, it was these real close up um, uh, videos of it tr- trying to show exactly how it works. It's really awesome how you can do that. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, working on my first velvet buck and I'm kind of having, well, I'm not having a heck of a time, but you know, trying to get this velvet, the velvet, it sat in the freezer for like a year. I'm trying to, it's pretty much cured, but there's a little bit of an odor to it. And I'm, it's just in my garage right now. And I'm just like, man, what do I, how am I going to get rid of this? You know how, cause I want it, I want it to be good. You know, and then I'm going to shampoo it and blow dry it and try to make it look nice again once I'm done. But I'm trying to work on getting that odor to go away. And I don't know if, is that a sign that it's not completely cured yet? Yes. There's still blood in there. That's why it stinks. Yeah. 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 And there, they make something uh, and all of the stuff in this catalog that tax term supplies is accessible to anybody. You don't have to have a tax term license to buy it, but they make something called a velvet tan. And that's what I use to preserve all my velvet. It comes in a bottle. You get a syringe and you're basically going to stick that syringe in, those, in the veins in the antler and just pump that antler full of that velvet tan. It's going to push all that blood out and then you're good. So, yeah, that's why it stings is because there's still some blood in there. And it's probably still a little soft in some areas. And that's where that blood's going to be. But I do know people that stick them in freezers for years at a time and eventually it can cure. But then, like in your case, it's still got a little blood in it. Um there are a few ways of doing it, but yeah, there's even something called Velva Lock. And mm-hmm. if you've seen that, it's in a little spray bottle. Yep. I've seen that. Yeah. Now I put that on after I use the velvet tan. Some people say they just spray it on directly and that's all they do. But I do the velvet tan to make sure I get all that blood out. And then I spray that Velva Lock on the outside because it's got citronella, keep the bugs and everything away from it. So yeah, it's, an, it's a fairly easy fix for you. Just, you know, like I said, just look for that velvet tan and you should be able to fix that smell. Yeah. I've seen those, I've seen those sprays around and, yeah. um, yeah. And that's the thing about taxidermy. And for those of us like DIY guys, you know, which it's probably most of us that are trying to just maintain their stuff or, you know, it's not super hard to do a European mound, but, mm-hmm. um, it's all learning. I learned something new every, every, set I go through, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to, you know, like this time I'm doing like, I think I'm doing like five different things at one time. And it's hard to kind of, you know, for 
when you're used to doing one or two and then you kind of add a couple more and everything is time sensitive and you don't want something to overboil, you know, cause that's what I'm doing. But, um, it's a lot of work, man. And, and you, but you pick up something new every single time that's going to help you in the future. And I think that's probably why you're so good at what you do. Right. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Cause you know, like you said, if you just, you gotta enjoy it. You don't get burned out on it, but, uh, constantly learning and, uh, just taking your time. Don't get in a hurry with it. You know, don't expect the instant gratification. It's just going to be clean in an hour or two. Cause that those skulls, man, <laughs> like I said before, that stuff's work. I don't envy you at all. having to do those things because it is a dirty job, but yeah, just sticking with it and, uh, making sure you do it right. Like if you done any kind of, uh, anything with horns on it, like Rams or anything like that. Uh, haven't done any, no, no, uh, no antelope or rams or nothing with horns yet, but I, I kind of know what to expect when that day comes, you know, um, but I know they come off. I know, I know that, uh, you know, I follow um, one of these taxidermist guys that you, you're probably well, well aware of, and he has all these videos online to show how to do European mounts and how to handle horns and he's drying them out inside and, you know, but there's a lot of detail work that goes into these mounts. So, mm-hmm. I know a lot of times the deer and, the, and well, a lot of the animals in the past, when you when you boil them, um, the base of the antlers are going to lose color, and we'll have to like repaint it and try to make it look you know, as natural as possible. So, yep. even something as I'd say in quotes simple as a antler mount still involves a lot of technique behind it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's that's what makes what you're doing so cool drew and so important like i mean that technique and your work is like painstaking right i've never done it but i i know it has to be right and i know it can probably be really frustrating and you know your job is like to preserve someone's memory of an animal that was obviously impactful enough for them to bring to you to try and preserve to put somewhere that they love and appreciate either to you know, serve as memory of that story or, you know, that adventure they had or the people they were with or like as a conversation starter. Cause like, I love telling stories about all my mounts I have around my place here and I'll talk about them to anybody forever. And I think that's like, I don't know, having, having a good taxidermist in your corner is one of the most crucial parts I think of, of being an outdoorsman. And, you know, it, it can get kind of like, I don't know. People love to hate on the word trophy hunter and like trophies and like that kind of stuff. But like, you know, every mount I have is a trophy and none of these deer are over 130 inches. So it's like, it's not like I'm killing big giant 180 inch whitetails like a lot of people, but you know, each one is a trophy in its own respect because of the people I was with and, you know, trying to preserve that, that story and and that memory. And yeah, I think what, what you're doing is really important, man. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, that old saying, the trophies in the eyes of the beholder, you know, um, I've done several kids first deer or, you know, and that something you'll, you'll always have the chance to shoot a bigger buck, but you'll never be able to replace your first. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure or weight on my shoulders when they come and get their, their animal that, you know, I want them to be happy with it. You know, I don't want to, cause if I do a good job, they're going to tell a couple of their buddies. If I do a bad job, they're going to tell everybody <laughs> quickly. So bad news spreads, spreads quicker than good news, of course. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, I love doing it. It's it's a lot of pressure, but I try to take my time in doing it. And my for anybody that, you know, you're looking for a taxidermist, my only recommendation is don't look at their price. People, Some guys are looking for the cheapest, you know. And that's not always the best. It's like, it's like you said, Carter, it's a memory that you're going to be telling forever. It's like, you know, it's, I've seen the, the memes, you know, a deer hunter, $80,000 truck, $10,000 <laughs> UTV, $12,000 lease, $100 in corn, but complains yeah. about spending 400 bucks on a shoulder mount that he spent thousands of bucks to kill his deer. Yeah. So it's just, you know, do your research, look at their work, whoever you decide to use me or anybody, right. just look at their work. Is it, is it good quality stuff? You know, get your money's worth, make it last. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, yeah. it's an important relationship to have. And you live in a cool, you work within a cool space in this, in this world, this, this outdoor hunting world. And 
uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to kind of see behind the curtain for a minute and see what you're working with and, and what you go through. So, yeah, but, uh, no, it is very cool because everybody that walks in that shop is always in a good mood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've never had an unhappy customer walk in the door cause they're always super excited. They killed a big deer or an awesome duck. So that's one great thing about this is they're, they're always in a good mood when they come in the door. So I get happy customers all the time. And so far, knock on wood, in the two years, they've always left in a good mood as well. So, Exactly. Yeah. I never thought about that. I guess that does mean everyone who walks through there has recovered whatever they shot. Like yeah. they've got it. They're bringing it there. Otherwise, they wouldn't yeah. be coming to see it. Yeah. They're happy telling me stories, showing me pictures. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's definitely hunting community is definitely a brotherhood or a family that it's, I don't think you, you bond like no other than, than the hunting community. Absolutely. Yeah. You're exactly right, Drew. And, and the one thing it's always, it's always nice to have a relationship with your taxidermist, you know, and I look at my uncles and they have their local taxidermists. And, um, even if we're not, uh, gonna, uh, keep the cape you know they'll cape out animals and bring it into their taxidermist and just say here you go you know and they kind of barter and trade but it's that community of being able to come in and you know you reap what you sow and uh you know you give back a little bit and you know it's that bond between everybody and um i think it's great to have you know a guy a local guy like you it's always awesome supporting your your community um you know no matter what the cost is and so uh, having that relationship with someone who who you can trust who's who trust you and, you know, you have that relationship. It's pretty awesome, man. So, uh, it's been really fun to hear about what all the things you got going on and, and where you're at and how you got there. Um, absolutely, man. And I wish you the best of luck with everything going on and with all the hunt season coming up, you're going to be a busy man. I do hope so, man. Yeah. I do appreciate the opportunity to get out here and talk to you guys. It's been a lot of fun. I can, man. We'll, uh, you know, we're rolling up in an hour here, but we'll have you back on into the season. We'll do a little recap and see where sure. you're at. If you've, busted out that Osceola and uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see <laughs> where you've gotten, man. Yeah. But, don't uh, hold your breath for that, but yeah, definitely <laughs> love to follow up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Bobby, you got any closing thoughts for us? I mean, I'm glad you jumped on. It was really interesting to see your perspective from, you know, we, we don't, we always don't think about it from your side of it. We just drop it off, pick it up and then it's on our wall forever. And, you know, and I always forget to mention to, you know, I have uh, a couple different guys around by me. And like you said, you have, you like to do in birds and I have one guy that refuses deer mounts and, you know, that's just one thing that he does and stick with your, just like a tattoo artist, man, you got to find what they're good at and what they want to do. And that's, that's the style you're going for. Exactly. That's awesome. <clears throat> Drew, you got any closing thoughts for us, man? Uh, no, man. Like I said, I could go on a soapbox, but, uh, yeah, just I guess just take care of your cape, take care of your duck, pick the right one, make sure it's in good shape, and uh, find a tax service that does good work. Don't look at the price; make it worth your while. That's all good advice, man. Where can uh, where can listeners go find you on social media, Drew? Sure, it's Georgia Outdoorsman Taxidermy Facebook and Instagram, and uh, my website has um, all the links for it. But yeah, pretty easy to find if you just search. Georgia Outdoorsman Taxidermy. Yeah. Everybody go follow Georgia Outdoorsman Taxidermy. Uh, Drew does phenomenal work. And uh, one thing I didn't mention that I wanted to, Drew, is you post a lot of uh, like helpful content, like your how-to videos and and things like that that are helpful for guys like me who stick ducks in freezers for five years. So uh, that helpful content is like really beneficial um, and it's not just pictures of your work. So yeah, thanks for doing that. And yeah, listeners, go give them a follow. Uh, as always, we appreciate the how to you guys, and we will talk to you next week.